This is The Juice, Episode 3. To the Juice Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Duncan. I am joined today by my co-host, Miss Kate Gardner. Hello, Kate. Hello, Brett. How are you today? I am absolutely awesome. How about you? I'm doing good, too. We're recording this kind of mid-November, and I think everyone on the phone today is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. A beautiful day, um, which is great, right? It's it's always awesome. So midst of fall here, can't beat uh, November in Texas, that is for sure. We are glad that you are with us today for The Juice. The Juice is all about providing fresh intel for today's direct selling executives. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. We have a guest with us uh, who um, is no stranger to many of you, well known within the direct selling industry, and a, certainly a good friend and colleague of both Kate and myself. And that is Manatech's Senior Vice President of Global Operations, Mr. Landon Frederick. Hello, Landon. Hello, Brett. Hello, Kate. Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, Absolutely. we are glad you are here, my friend. So, Landon, I know a lot of people know you, they're familiar with you in the industry, but I'm sure there are some who still have not uh, are not familiar with your greatness and your renown. So, Fill us in. Who is Landon Frederick? What are you doing right now uh, at Manatech? What's your story, both inside of direct sales, outside of us, outside of direct sales? What can you share with us about you? Well, Brett, you know, I, I think you're overstating it a little bit. Um, <laughs> Never. I'm, I'm definitely, uh, um, definitely not as great as you as you say there. But you know, I I've been in this industry for about ten years, and and. Prior to that, I worked in, uh, after I graduated school, I worked in the bank software and consulting uh, business. And then transitioned from that to, I started my own business for about five years. I ran a graphics design and, and advertising, web advertising business. And, uh, and from there, I, uh, I was introduced to Sam Caster uh, through uh, my father, Stan Frederick. Um, and Sam Castor asked me to come work for Manatech, and that was about 10 years ago. I started in the tools department, managing tools and, and, and sales, uh, actually the sales department. And uh, I've worked my way around the business, the operation, to uh, so that I fully understand um, everything that goes on here. And so now I, I uh, with my duties now, I'm Senior Vice President of Global Operations, so that includes um, regulatory, supply chain, logistics, uh, facilities, and IT. Wow. Uh, so it's, 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 a, it's, it's definitely a big responsibility, but, and with a growing business uh, like we have, um, and an expanding uh, footprint around the world, it's definitely an exciting uh, role to be in for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, full disclosure here, Landon and I used to work together. He certainly has been at Manatech longer than I was there, but uh, you know, you mentioned this kind of, but I know a lot of your focus, like when you started, was more North American focused, right? And then now you're Senior Vice President of Global Ops, and we're going to get into some of the specifics of that. But kind of overall, what has been the transition for you as far as your thinking, how you're thinking about the business, what you're focused on going from a North America focused uh, position to a, I'm thinking of every market for the company. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it really has been a, a, an interesting transition. I mean, this is when in my role over over North American sales. I mean, that was um, it, it was it was isolated to that market. But North America is the foundation of, of our business. So it's really good to get a real a ground level understanding of what are the needs of our business. I mean, our associates is, is primarily it's the it's the gas that runs the engine. And and so and then moving into a the global operation, you get to see um, all the underpinnings of everything that, that makes everything go. And we, of course, want to deliver the best in product to our customers, our associates. We want to make sure that they have their products when they ask for it, that, that they have good pricing on the products, that they uh, that they are their their products are shipped on time, that their products never go on back order, and then also that that their commissions are paid on time. So all these things need to happen, and when you really start looking at that operation, you know, fundamentally from the ground level, you start realizing there are so many things that need to be done and should be done in order to um, ensure that you do those four things really well. You yeah. make sure that you're shipping your products, that they're not going on back order. Um, you, you're pricing them right for the market and that you're, um, that you're paying commissions on time. You do those things really well, it, that's your, your golden. But the problem with that is, is that there are so many things, especially with a global operation in so many different markets, uh, with so many different regulations, um, you just have to, you have to balance a lot of things and then you're looking for efficiencies to make sure that you're, that you're the most profitable that you can be because you want to support your business. You got a business to run. Yeah, I, I love what you just said. You went from a, a global conversation to taking it very local and fundamental to the distributor level. And I think that's part of the greatness of Manatech that obviously you in a global operation capacity continue to be so mindful of is being sure the distributor and I get you all call them the associate is taken care of. That's fabulous. Yeah, you know, we have uh, we are really focusing our efforts on uh, expanding our footprint, and and North America being the foundation for everything that we've done in our North American field, because you know we've we've pretty much we've it's been a symbiotic relationship between us and our associates. We've expanded, they've expanded with us, and now we find that a lot of concentration of our field is really building in Asia. So that has become uh, a focus for us. And, you know, of course, as that focus grows, the percentage of, of where we're focusing on North, North America has, has shrunk to some degree. And, and then, so we have, as I spoke earlier, that, that the, the areas that we really start to look at in order to, to, to make sure that we are running our business the most efficient way for our, ultimately for our customers and for our shareholders is really focusing in on uh, gross margin. So what what is what is our gross margin look like in every market around the world? So we got to look at it in total, and then we got to look at it at a country specific level. And when you're looking at gross margin, you start finding finding things that that you might not expect it. You know, if you're a if you are a business just starting, then you have the luxury of just saying, you know what, we are going to establish a standardized market. 
doesn't matter what we do if it does if the price after we do our markup doesn't fit in the market that we're in so say you're in mexico and once you find out what your cost is if you market up your standard you find out that the market can't afford it you don't launch it but if you're in a mature business and you're really looking at gross margin the, the challenge is is that you may have some products that were priced a long time ago uh, at a certain level that may be too high for the market or it may be too low for the market so you have an opportunity there but what you're really concerned about is is the bottom line and currencies fluctuate currencies fluctuate you have sometimes your costs go up and so that margin shrinks and so what we what we really start looking at market by market is what is the product mix so and this is something you do you know six to eight months in advance you, you you want to get to a spot where you're planning six to eight months down the road what is your gross margin going to be then and you're planning your your uh, any type of promotions that you might do you're planning them that far in advance so there's no surprises and then it also gives you opportunities to say okay when well, some of these markets where everything's got unbalanced we need to start thinking about sunsetting or or increasing increasing the prices so that the products can support the market and vice versa. Real quickly, yeah. on that too, Landon, because I think that's, uh, you know, talking about gross margin and, and going through that and looking at the company level versus the country level, and you said it can be kind of, you know, all over the place possibly. Um, you know, so what, like thinking about some examples and, it, you know, give us what, however specific or nonspecific you want to be, but where are some areas that you're like, okay, companies really need to look in this area. And a lot of times they don't look there when they're thinking about, you know, company level versus country level. Anything come to mind there? You might have a product that, that is, it, it's your main mover. So you, you have, you have something that, I mean, maybe it's, you know, 60% of your volume. And if you go and you look at that product in every market, the assumption is is that you have a pretty standard markup and you're you're going to be fine. But you have, may have some markets that are just so small, and you and you just don't have the support there. It, you have the same product level cost, but your your volumes are so low, or your um, uh, you just don't have high enough sales. So as a percent your costs are, are going up in anything involving freight. Um, and so everything can get upside down really quick in those markets. Mm. So it's just important to look at that. And it, you know, you have, you have an opportunity to either say, well, in this market, am I going to keep things as they are and, and realize that, I, that I'm either not making a lot of money or, or I'm uh, you know, just gonna make a fraction until we build it up? Or are we gonna look at local manufacturing? And that's another way that you can really, um, that, that's just an opportunity for you to reduce your costs. So you can reduce your, your product costs substantially. Uh, and then if you, if you do local manufacturing, you're reducing your freight. And you know, putting your 3PLs closer uh, to your customers. And some, sometimes in some of these smaller markets, you have a lot of foot traffic. And, and you really, you, you want to you create a, a network that supports that market specifically. So that, you know, you can look at it and make global decisions, and those global decisions can drive a lot of a lot of the decisions that you that you make at, at the lower lower level. But at that local level, there's some real opportunities there too. 
And you don't have to necessarily put as much resources and as much money into local opportunities. Uh, you can find ways to really lower your costs and to increase your gross margin without having to to break the bank. And and you know that and that's I think that's just that's a real opportunity. And of course, at the end of the day, it's it's your business's choice on what they want to do and whatever the strategy is. You, mm. If they have a, a small market strategy and a big market strategy, but you only have so much time and so many resources, and you have to plan those accordingly. Um, Another area that we have that we've really been looking at is just shipping. You know, in this day and age, it is such a challenge when you're going up against uh, you're going you're really competing with the perception of your customers. You're the perception of your um, because you and I we all shop. On, a lot of people shop online. We a lot of people shop at Amazon or they shop Zappos for shoes or or whatever, trunk club, you know, so they can get a new outfit every, every day. So it's that experience that we're all competing with. And even though we'd like to say that, you know, our competitors are within our own industry, that's just really not the case. It, it is, we're, we're competing for the customer's time and for their attention and for their uh, share of wallet. And so the challenge is, is that when you have established companies, established companies that want a piece of that share, uh, especially direct selling companies or network marketing companies. Our business model is not set up where we can go and offer free shipping like everybody else does. And it's just in it, it, it's a problem because you're competing with the, uh, with these, this perception out in the market, but it's very important that this is a place where you can lose so much margin so quickly, if you're not finding a way to recoup your shipping costs. Now, here's the deal. It, it is not absolutely necessary that, that you charge for shipping, but you must cover your costs. And so you should cover your costs in some ways. Amazon has figured out how to do it over a long period of time through volume. Most companies don't have that luxury. So what we have to do is to either charge for it or to put it in the price of the product. And so that, that, is, that is something that, it's another element of gross margin that's so important because you'll lose it faster than you can possibly imagine. As your uh, volume rises and you're, if you're already giving it up, if you're already giving up margin, you're never gonna recover it unless you make sure you price your product accordingly or charge for shipping. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I've heard some companies really struggle with if there's, you know, hey, we're breaking even on shipping or we're, we've even got a little bit of, you know, margin on top of it that accounts for, you know, handling or whatever. But they struggle with that because they'll say, hey, we're not a shipping business. We're a nutrition business or we're a skincare business or whatever. But if you think about it, we, I mean, we really are in the shipping business. You know, it doesn't mean we can't be in those other businesses, but every single order that comes in gets shipped, right? So this is, we are in that business. Oh, absolutely. We're in that business. In fact, I, I would say that if, if direct selling companies and network marketing companies don't get with it from the standpoint of, of changing how we view that shipment, um, then it, it, we're in trouble. I mean, if you, I, one of them that I mentioned earlier was Trunk Club. Trunk Club, you know, I was looking online um, at one time when I was doing a lot of research on this. 
and they're on YouTube, there are all these videos of people's truck club experience and when they open it up and, and more and more people, they, they're instead of going into a department store or going into a boutique store and going around the racks and, and shopping and looking through clothes and stuff, their experience that they treasure is whenever that box comes in, a lot of us have Apple products and Apple does such an amazing job of you get their shipment, you open it up and it's so meticulously wrapped. So I think that the industry is is shifting and, and, we're, and we're all seeing that the consumer has become more intelligent. Their expect, expectations have changed. And it's not just about what's in the box that they'll end up using. It's about the box and what's how it's packed, the attention to detail and care was given. And so when you get that, then when someone's paying that shipping price or paying a little bit higher price for the product, it doesn't hurt so much because they feel the value that they're getting by actually receiving this, this product in this box that obviously this, this company really cares about its customers and the presentation that it's doing. I had a thought, so can you share, Landon, specifically what, um, what or whom Manatech is using for shipping? Are you doing exclusively 3PL to get those cost efficiencies? Um, or are you still doing some shipping yourselves? What are you doing to, um, you know, what specifically are you doing that you might share with your colleagues? Yeah, you know, we, we do outsource to a, to a third-party logistics provider. Um, I won't get into the specifics, but it's definitely to me the way to do it because it's not our core competency. This is 3PLs. The advantage here is, is that lower cost for you and this is what they do. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, we, we could definitely go into the selection of the right, the right 3PL. Um, I mean, you just want to make sure that they, that they are an extension of you and your customers never know the difference. I mean, mm -hmm. that that's, that's the primary, um, and I mean, of course, and you want the value to be there, and you want to make sure that, um, just like how your folks, if you had your own warehouse, would stay up till one o'clock making sure shipments got out. You want to make sure that this that your partner would do the same thing. Yeah. And, but. Anyway. Awesome. Yeah. So that's just to um, recap. You have kind of your four areas of really focusing when you're kind of looking at gross margin: company level versus country level. You mentioned product mix. You mentioned price, obviously, and then your shipping revenue contribution. Now I know you know if you've been you kind of brought up to us talking about optimizing a global operation and really focusing on the area of supply chain. You've gone through a lot of supply chain uh, supply chain transformation. Walk us through that just real quickly. Yeah, sure. So last year, whenever we were looking at our business, and really, I mean, margin everything was a driver. Uh, we just, we in, in looking at the supply chain, we knew that it could be run more efficiently. Just after years of, of running your business a certain way, it's just, it's always good to go back and to take a look and figure out how can we do this better? So we put together a process that said, uh, um, we followed four key areas that we took a look at. First was just our planning process, just as far as the um, demand forecast, the, um, the buying and planning process, um, and, then, and then the logistics that follows that in getting the, um, the product from our manufacturers to our uh, distribution centers. 
then we, we also took a look at, okay, let's find opportunities to reduce our finished product costs. And so we went through um, a process around that. And then we focused on carriers. Um, how, how could we look for opportunities to consolidate? How could we, where were there opportunities for us to say, um, we can reduce costs with, uh, by, by getting different carriers um, and getting our rates lowered. And then also, and the, the last point is, is probably the, the most important, it also could be the first point, is personnel improvements. We, we knew, I mean, there's, there's a book that, I, that I, I use as a reference point a lot of times, and it was a book I read a long time ago, and it's, uh, I wanted to make sure that in putting together this model that we follow this, and that's the book, Good to Great, put, get the right people and put them in the right seats. And so we went out and we found the right people, the experienced seasoned people to, to run our supply chain. And so that has been, has allowed us to make dramatic improvements. And the sales and operations planning process, you know, all of this, all of this stuff is, is it, it's not rocket science. And a lot of business people out there know this stuff, but the key, just like the key with anything, personally or within a business is discipline. Hmm. And we have a process, a weekly process where we spend, you know, and, and around here, just a tool that we use a lot because we're a global business and in 25 countries or 25 markets, we use Skype. I mean, we are on Skype around the world. We got these TVs everywhere where in, in different offices and conference rooms so that we can have, have meetings. So for the sales and operation planning process, we, we actually have a meeting that's between our, the supply chain representatives here, the supply chain representatives in, in each market, um, and they, they sit down with the logistics and they and the manufacturers, and actually go through and plan the monthly shipments. So, so this is this is a, we're 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 trying to our our we've gone from a, a company that is turning our inventory um, three times. Our goal is to get to six to eight times, to maybe even twelve times on wow. some products, and, and and that's you know, and this is we're really focusing on our big movers, and and this is um, a, a matter of because the slow movers are it's just not as important. You, you just you don't have the volume to support it. But our big movers, our top ten, we are we're using the sales and operation planning process, and it's just it's transformed the system and it's made it very efficient and. As you all know, if you uh, the more times you can turn your inventory, the more cash you have, and that it's just a, it's it's a very healthy thing to do for your business. Wow. We went through that. We uh, went through the the process of requoting our our products, and we were able to lower our our uh, finished product costs substantially. Uh, then we also have gone through a process of requoting to our carriers, and we were able to lo lower our logistical costs. And then I mean the other one is working. In conjunction with supply chain, with our manufacturers, uh, and with the distribution centers, to, to the three PLs to consolidate where we can. Yeah. And just everybody thinks that that's just an easy thing to do, but but some people may just be in react mode, and it's just a it's it's critical that you look for those opportunities to to group shipments together, just because it every little bit counts. Well, and I think. But that, but, 
Yeah, go ahead. You underscored, too, a key concept, and that is the discipline part, right? I mean, all of this is like some people are probably listening right now. First off, some companies are probably listening right now, and they're thinking, wow, three turns a year, that's awesome. You know, and you're like, well, that's, you know, that's our baseline. That's what we're getting better. We're going to improve on that. Uh, yes. so that's incredible. And then, two, just the discipline of doing this stuff and scheduling it and staying on top of it. And, you know, for too many companies, I have to assume the planning process or reaching out to your carriers or, you know, all the things that you looked at, your suppliers, it's either, you know, at a urgent request, right? So you got to try to do it real quickly, which means you're probably not doing it as well as you could or as thoroughly as you could. And then, you know, they might be doing it on a quarterly basis or biannual basis or whatever, but you know, there's components of that. It sounds like you're really staying on top of with a large group of people on a weekly basis. And I think that's really, really impressive. Yeah, it, Brett, it's a massive coordination and, but, and, and the results definitely speak for themselves. Hmm. Uh, and, and what's great is, you know, and the other, and you have that buy-in and you have that buy-in from the team and the team is seeing the changes and it's making their job easier. I mean, a lot of it is just, it's discipline. It's also communication. You just, you, if, if you're, if you're not all talking and, and you're not, and we're setting that discipline. So we're setting an expectation with our suppliers and of, of what our expectations are. And we're very connected. They're like an extension of us. And so is the three PL because when you talk so much, it's, and if we win, they win, they win, we win. You know? Right. It's, it's very symbiotic for sure. Incredibly healthy um, and certainly good for your employees. Um, they feel valued. They feel like their contributions are both acknowledged and appreciated. And uh, everybody works just so much better together. You don't get that feeling. And I've walked into buildings before that you get that feeling of uh, stress and even angst. And you don't get that feeling when you walk into the Manitech building. You get that feeling of uh, joy. There's uh, Maybe it's because the wonderful infusers are out there. <laughs> <laughs> it helps you feel very sanguine when you walk in, but it goes way beyond that. It's the feel that you all have created inside of the of the company itself that speaks just volumes to your culture. Fabulous. Well, thank you, Kate, very much for saying that. We definitely believe that we're building something special here. Uh, we have a pretty much a new executive team that started last August together, and we are we're building. I mean, our, our goal is a billion and beyond, and, and but that's a number. In order to get there, you want to get there the right way, and we want to make sure that we build the right environment, an environment that's fair but fun, that's disciplined, that has high expectations. We want to raise the bar. But again, we want to enrich people's lives while doing it. Yeah. I would be remiss if I, if I didn't mention the one of our one of big drivers for us is our mission five billion program and mission five million is is similar to tom shoes the whole one for one idea i went on a trip to guatemala about a month ago and during that time i was able to see firsthand what our donations are doing to help children um, to, to, to nourish them and so this is just a fundamental and you know we just talk about culture and we talk about how important it is, well, it's one of the drivers for us is to, to, do, to do something that's outside of us, to, to really change the world through nourishing children all over the world. 
And could you so anyway, land it on, on that too? Could you just, for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, how, do, how is M, uh, M5M linked to Manatech purchases and what does that actually generate? So the program is, is linked by, if, we, if, if one of our customers or associates, when they purchase our product for one, one day, so one day we nurse a child for a day. And, and that's really how the program works. And, and it's just so, it, it's so critical that we continue to expand that. I mean, right, right now, you know, at, at, at our sales at the level that they are, I mean, we're just scratching the surface. And there's just, there's so much opportunity out there. Right, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to this and I almost feel like we could probably cherry pick a couple of these and do a whole episode on that. And maybe we'll do that down the road. Like I'm, I'm so interested in the, the forecasting process and, you know, and then, you know, really how do you whittle down and what areas should be looked at on the product cost side? So uh, I know you were kind of sharing really the, the overview there. So I appreciate it, but yeah. Um, Kate, sure. before we jump into the lightning round, do you have any other uh, big takeaways or, or questions from that section? No, I would too. I would love to come back at some point and, and not just um, you know deep dive into the specific business issues, but we perhaps um, you know Landon would even be willing to help more elaborate on the philanthropic side of what uh, Manatech does, because a lot of the companies do do have that side to them, and we could build on that in terms of how it impacts um, the business and the numbers too. It's we do it for the right reasons, but the uh, uh, the you know, vicarious and certainly the ultimate outcome is how does it impact the bottom line. So I'd love to come back to that at some point, too. Yeah, good idea. All right, so let's do this. We're going to close here probably in the next five minutes, but we've got a lightning round of questions we always like to ask all of our guests. Okay, so you ready for this, Landon? You bet. <laughs> all right, Kate, kick us off. Good, okay. Here we go. Number one, as you look ahead, Landon, over the next three years, what excites you the most about the world of direct selling? I would say that what excites me the most is def definitely gl globalization, just the expanding expansion of direct selling into markets around the world because of what it creates and business opportunities for others and just getting our business model out. That's awesome. All right. Flip side of that, looking ahead three years from now, what concerns you the most about direct selling? As we globalize and as, as we expand into other markets and even at home here in the U.S. market, I, I believe that we, we struggle with public perception about direct selling. And it is something that has to be attacked. Uh, we have to bridge the divide together all network marketing, direct selling companies, and, and and working through associations like the Direct Selling Association, it, it is it is imperative that we work with our congressmen, we work with our senators, that that we work with the, the legislative branch to make sure that we are that we're getting the word out, and and that we're making sure that the right laws are created to, to protect the customers, uh, but at the same time to support our business model. And really, just to help people understand, it's there's such a misinterpretation of our business model and what it is. I mean, this is just it's the fundamental basis of entrepreneurism, and and I think that's just important that we get that word out and we simplify our message and make sure that we're united with it. Mm. 
Yeah. And that sort of leads you that you kind of touched uh, really a little bit on you know, the third question in our lightning round here. Was, is, there, is there a single thing that you think that the world misunderstands about direct selling? Is there a single issue that you think um, people rest on and uh, call us to task for? Yeah, you know, I, I would say, Kate, that it's, it's not just the um, – so in terms of the rest of the world, I, I would almost say all of those that are outside of our business model. I think that a lot of times that their conclusion immediately is pyramid scheme or this is a get rich quick scheme. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to hear about that. And, you know, and I think that that's just a, a it's such a misconception that has, has really taken hold in a lot of areas that are, that are pretty surprising. And we really got to work to make sure that we, yeah, I mean, we, we do create a lot of our own reputation. So we have to run our business as well first. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have to do a really good job of helping to educate the public about yep. what it is that we're doing and how we're doing it. Good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Next question. What is a specific tip you can share that helps you be more productive in your day-to-day -day work? Well, you know, Brett, that's it's being productive. Yeah, especially as executives, we have a lots of things going on at any given time. And productivity, finding the right productivity tool can be a um, can be mind numbing in itself. And you know, <laughs> there's a lot of disappointment and a lot of dollars spent sometimes finding the right tool. And about six months ago, I, I discovered a, a tool called Trello. And you know, I mean, I've used task you know, task master type things that, mm -hmm. that I would to do this, that kind of stuff that you have on your phone and on your computer. And, uh, but, but I just really found those things didn't work for me. Trello is, it uses boards and you can drag and move around boards that, that are taskless. And, and it's really, you can create whatever you want. And, uh, there, there's, you, you're, you're almost creating your own system within somebody else's, within a, a, a template, templated okay. systems. I, I recommend Everyone check it out. It's great. awesome. Trello, and that's T-R-E-L-L-O, right? Oh, thank you, that's Brett. Great. I was going to ask how you spell that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, here, here's always a fun one because there's so much out there, and I think you touched on one a little bit earlier. Uh, what is a book or an online resource that you would recommend to your other direct selling executive colleagues? Yeah, you know, I, I stick with good to great because just about every chapter in that is, is, are things that I use. And uh, and so I just I would stick with good to great. I mean, you know, we could we we could I could save the richest man in Babylon, uh, Atlas shrugged. I mean, I have a lot of favorites, but good to great is a good business one. <laughs> nice. We understand. Awesome. All right. Last question. Uh, what is a personal goal? Goal? What's a personal goal for the next year that you could share with everybody else? You know, to be the best father that I could be. Wow. Yeah. That's perfect. So what's that look like? I mean, specifically. Yeah, right. Let me let me put it, let me let me actually back up to be the best father and husband that I can be. <laughs> Good cover. Good cover. <laughs> Probably husband first, then father. <laughs> uh, you know what? We talked about discipline, communication. A lot of the fundamental basics that we want to create in our business. Is, is really a reflection of, of 
I think, at least for me, what I want to create and make sure that I'm always creating my family, so that my kids and my wife can count on, uh, that, that we have a plan as a family, that we are disciplined, that we're fair with others, that we're honest, that we have integrity, that we do what we say that do what we say we're going to do when we're going to do it. Um, you know, th th those are, those are, those are critical. And, and, you know, just as parents, it's a challenge every day. You know, you, we, we might have this blue ocean kind of mindset about it, but I think we have to set that expectation with, with our kids that, that, um, dreams are possible. And it, it seems like too many people want to take away dreams. They don't want people to dream anymore. And, that is the beautiful thing about our business is that we teach people how to dream and how to aim higher. And I think, you know, for me, for my wife, that's what we do with our children. We want them to aim higher, to believe that anything is possible that can do anything if they set a goal and if they're very disciplined to it, the same things that we want to do in our business. Hmm. Man, that was great. Landon, this has been awesome. Thanks for being a part of this. Before we wrap up, any contact info, websites you want to refer people to real quickly before, uh, where they can either find out more about you, more about Manatech, anything we've talked about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you just want to go to our website, manatech.com, M-A-N-N-A-T-E-C-H.com, uh, you should be able to find more information about, uh, about the company. Awesome. Kate, any closing thoughts? This has been awesome. I know so much about your wonderful family and uh, and that you were ending on a note about family just makes perfect sense because that is the heart of what this business is all about. So uh, we appreciate that. Thank you, Landon. Uh, Kate, thank you very much. I mean, it, it has been a pleasure and a lot of fun. So uh, thank you for, uh, I'm Kate, um, for just being a great friend. You and Brett have, have been a great friend through the years. So thank you all very much. Awesome. Thanks, my man. Thank you, Landon. This is Landon Frederick on The Juice. We thank you so much for listening and uh, welcome your feedback if you have ideas on things that you want to hear about. Uh, but definitely go check out manatech.com. Get, get some context for everything that you heard Landon talk about today. And we will see you on the next episode of The Juice. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us today. That was really a great discussion with Landon Frederick. And uh, we're always looking for input from so many different companies on the operational front. So if you're interested in sharing with us, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love your feedback overall on this episode and the podcast. You can certainly rate the podcast on whatever you're listening through. If it's, if it's iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, that certainly means a lot to us. One thing that would really help is given that this is a, a young podcast, would you share this with your colleagues in your office? Uh, forward them a link, do what you need to, but say, hey, this is a podcast completely dedicated to direct sales. And I think over time, we've all got something we could learn from this. I think that'd be great. And if you want to leave us a note or reach out to us, you can do that at the website. That's at thejuicepodcast.com. Again, that's thejuicepodcast.com. Now, a quick mention of our sponsors, and the first one is near and dear to my heart, Strategic Choice Partners, which is the company I work for uh, and am a managing partner and principal in. We provide expertise and innovation for today's direct seller. Uh, the way that that looks is we offer consulting and uh, other services to help you optimize pretty much any and every part of the direct selling business. We have so many experts uh, and specialists who are part of our firm. If you're interested and you want to reach 
out to us. We certainly welcome that. Would love to talk with you. Also, we have some free resources for anyone. You get instant access right away to over 10 hours of training. You go to strategicchoicepartners.com slash join. Create your free account. You'll get instant access. So I encourage you to do that. Also, this episode is brought to you by Gardner & Company, which is led by my partner in crime here on The Juice, Kate Gardner. Uh, Gardner & Company specializes in executive search and talent acquisition. They are 100% focused on the direct selling industry. So definitely when needs in that area arise for you, reach out to Kate at kate at gardnercollc.com. And again, make sure you visit thejuicepodcast.com for all the show notes, all of these contact details, sponsor information, and so much more. And until the next episode, we thank you so much for joining us today on The Juice.